It's March 17, 2021. Welcome to the new reality edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. First up, we'll have Michelle Chung from the True Initiative, and she's here to tell us about the uh, panel, upcoming panel, called The People and Bots Behind Safe Travels. And then we'll be joined by Alexia Akbai and, and uh, Jonathan Simons from Symbrosia, and we'll talk about innovation, startup life, and their company, Symbrosia, which is located over at Nelha. Of course, right now, I want to welcome uh, Michelle Chung from the True Initiative, and uh, she's uh, sponsoring a panel called People and Bots Behind Safe Travels. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thanks, Bert. Thanks for having me. So Safe Travels has been, uh, you know, a a project that has uh, evolved quite a bit uh, since, you know, since the pandemic. I know back in, I think it was uh, April, um, I, I got involved with an early, early version of it. But uh, tell us a little bit about the kind of maybe the evolution of, of uh, Safe Travels. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to the event. The event is on March 23rd at 10 a.m., um, and we will have Doug Murdoch, the CIO of the state of Hawaii, Fanu Valanki, um, COO of eWorld, and Joel Banco, CTO of eWorld, to share the journey that they um, went through with Safe Travels. So as far as I know, um, Safe Travels has handled over 1.5 million travelers so far on their digital platform. And it started off with a Google solution. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And then the next step there was, well, there's gonna there's a necessity to have support for this Google for this solution, and so Ewell got involved to create support and customer care um, to support not only the travelers but also the screeners that have to um, manage the safe travels program. And so, you know, what what's the uh, the the innovation that they brought to the table in terms of trying to be that uh, help desk you know mm-hmm. obviously you have you have uh, chat bots in in here and, and AI I mean what what was it that they kind of brought to the table that didn't require like a whole bunch of people manning phones right and so I think with COVID we all know there's a dispersed workforce and um, technology has skyrocketed through the pandemic um, out of necessity and so a lot of um, organizations throw people at a problem. And mm-hmm. so I think what ETS and eWorld did in their partnership is to take the next step in innovation and use not only Google, not only AI, not only chatbots, um, but they have an integrated solution to be able to handle the thousands of calls that they, that they get um, to support safe travels. And so they have an integrated solution with RingCentral, Google, and ServiceNow platform. Um, and the team started with a live help desk first, and then they extended the solution to chatbots to handle the volume and scale as travel opens in Hawaii. And then I don't know if everybody knows, but chatbot is a form of AI. It's a computer program that's designed to simulate human conversation. Users communicate with the tool using a chat interface or through voice um, like they would with you know any person. So you know that's the solution they were able to scale. No, that's exactly that, what I was going to ask you. So when you say yeah. chatbot, I'm thinking maybe you're on chat, but you're actually talking uh, an option to do a, a simulated sort of voice uh, interaction. 
That's right. So if you call safe travels, it would be something like, hello, what are you looking for today? Or do you need help with pre-testing locations? And it's, it's gone are the days of press one for <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. help on A, press two. So it's very um, interactive. And and you know with uh, with the True initiative, I mean, part of the whole effort behind True is getting companies in Hawaii to take a look at some of this technology. So is that part of the, you okay. know, the mission behind having this uh, panel? Yeah, we're so excited to have the state share their solution. Um, I think so. True is a nonprofit. We our mission is to really create tech enable jobs, and we do that by supporting organizations and accelerating the adoption of technology and innovation by sharing solutions to common business problems. Um, We want to help Hawaii create a secure future. We want to enable companies to be more resilient. We want to support our government to better serve the needs of Hawaii residents, and we want to empower the workforce. Um, And so we've been sharing a number of use cases out there, and there's more than one way to skin a cat. Um, We've done customer care solutions on Amazon Connect, um, we heard about one from KPMG, and I think that this is another solution that the state has adopted that we'd like to share so that other organizations can benefit from all the work and the lessons learned and everything that um, this team has done. So, so we're oh. doing something a little different in this event. We're actually going to have breakout rooms where people can deep dive. So the first part of the event is a fireside chat where we learn what the solution is, uh, maybe some of the common challenges and and why they decided on, on Google as a platform. And then the second half is going to be breakout session where you can opt to go in to a business session to learn more about the project management, the consumer experience, and business requirements. Or you can go to a tech breakout room where you can learn more about chatbots, the architecture behind the solution, the development approach. And all of that. Great, great. So I'm 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 actually interested in this because I've got a project that <laughs> could very well benefit uh, from from chatbot. So again, Michelle, when is this going to take place, and where can people yep. sign up? Right. So the event is going to be on Tuesday, March 23rd. That's next week at 10 a.m. And you can register at the True website, which is www.hec.org/true. Um, we're an initiative of the Hawaii Executive Collaborative, um, so that's why we're under HEC.org. Very good. So, again, thanks, Michelle, for joining us. I'll put that uh, link up on the show notes. Great. Thank you so much for having me and for allowing True to share what we do and for sharing what great work the state is doing. And we hope that you can join us there. Thanks, Michelle. And, of course, uh, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Alexia Akbe and Jonathan Simons to talk about startup life over at Symbrosia. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. Welcome back to Bite Mark Cafe. Now, of course, I'm glad to welcome Alexia Akbay and co-founder and CEO. Of course, Jonathan Simons, he's co-founder and CTO at Symbrosia. And they're here to talk about a company that they started and is now over at the Natural Energy Lab of Hawaii Authority, which is also fondly referred to as Nelha in Kona. And I want to welcome you both to Bite Mark's Cafe. 
Thanks, Bert. We're happy to be here. Thanks so much for having us. Great. So, so uh, Alexia, why don't why don't uh, you go ahead and start? Let me let me um, just preface this by by my saying that, you know, I was able to share a panel. Uh, that we were both on, Alexia and myself and uh, a few other people. It was a technology panel that took place, I don't know, maybe about a couple, three weeks ago, and it was uh, sponsored by the, if I'm not mistaken, the county of of Hawaii, Big Island, and it was um, called the Hawaii Sustainability Summit. So they had a, a bunch of different panels, and, and uh, we were able to be on, we kind of, we're both on this uh, technology panel, so that's a bit of uh, a little bit of background. But I, I wanted to give Alexia a chance to maybe talk a little bit about uh, what what does uh, Sembrosia do? Sure, yeah, Sembrosia is a clean tech company, um, and we are in the aquaculture space. So we work on producing a macroalgae or a seaweed feed additive for livestock, like dairy cows, beef cattle sheep and goats that helps to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions, um, methane gas, by over 90%. So when you look at um, the emissions that are emitted by this industry, it's about 6 to 8% of total global greenhouse gas emissions come from this source of emissions. So we're really hoping to use the seed additive to reduce the carbon footprint of livestock farming in the short term while we work towards um, you know, increased plant-based diets as well globally. You know that's that's really pretty fascinating because I never would have guessed that the percentage of, you know, contribution to the the methane uh, amount in the atmosphere was that high. You said six to eight percent. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of <laughs> um, kind of varying opinion, opinions on that in the literature. Anywhere from four to the whole way up to fifteen, twenty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, but we follow the FAO and, and choose to um, report six to eight percent of of total global greenhouse gas emissions. Now, now we're, f- we're particularly interested. Oh, no, no, particularly no. interested in this as well because um, it's it's a space that um, could use some innovation. So there's a lot of focus on energy and on that kind of other ninety five percent. But uh, we can't get the whole way without looking at these emissions as well. So, so for for our listeners that are wondering what what is the producer of this methane i mean it's the 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 passing of gas or the flatulence of of cows and cattle that as a result of their uh munching on on hay i guess uh you know that's what happens and i like i said i never realized that that percentage was so high and and maybe jonathan i mean how did you guys kind of come up with this idea that this is where you wanted to focus some of your innovations Um, yeah, so we, uh, some research has come out of uh, some labs um, around the world at this point um, showing that this feed additive has, has an enormous um, climate impact. So uh, reading some of that research and wanting to be on, on the front lines of trying to be able to uh, reduce that impact, um, you know, we weren't, we didn't discover that this algae has the impact, but we're really excited to be able to be trying to translate that into a uh, real-world impact. So, so uh, Alexia, um, you folks didn't start in Hawaii, right? I mean, you guys uh, were actually on the East Coast. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that, uh, that uh, kind of journey. Yeah, 
Yeah, when we started, we were actually still in school uh, in Connecticut. Jonathan was doing his undergrad, and I was doing my master's degree. And so for about the first year of kind of playing around with this idea, we were at university, um, which was a really great opportunity to start a company because you're able to suss out um, the risks, the pros and the cons, and, and get a lot of support from the community while you're there. Um, but we quickly realized that it was not probably feasible to grow a tropical seaweed um, <laughs> in Connecticut. So at the time, I guess summer of 2019, we were uh, scoping out a few locations, including many in California, um, to potentially relocate ourselves uh, and our facilities and our operations. But at the same time, we applied to the Hatch Accelerator, which is based um, here in Kona at NOHA um, and got accepted. And that was kind of you know, a win-win for us that we were able to jumpstart our uh, growth and development with the program and have access to the wonderful facilities that know how to do this marine research. You know, that was uh, pretty fortuitous of you to find the connection between uh, Hatch being an accelerator in Hawaii and, and uh, you know, Jonathan, in, in terms of the research, looking at algae. And I was going to ask you, you know, where did that algae uh, originate from, and and you know obviously it wasn't from Connecticut. So to have the the stars align where you were doing research around the um, this uh, tropical algae, and then and then seeing that the accelerator in in Hawaii was uh, there accepting applicants. So it seems like a lot of lot of uh, coincidences all kind of lined up for you. Yeah, I would say we're we're extremely fortunate and and grateful to be in a place one of um, many places around the world where this uh, algae grows um, here uh, naturally. So and and not in Connecticut, as Alexia mentioned. Some of um, uh, in the beginning, we were working with a little bit of material from um, California, and now uh, we've transitioned to working with uh, Hawaiian algae. We're we're so grateful to have access uh, to that resource and um, folks here who know a lot about it as well, who have been able to um, teach us what they know. So, so Jonathan, in terms of the algae itself, I mean, is there something, is it, is it, uh, uh, let's say, is it grown in Hawaii? Was it had, you know, did you have to kind of create a, a special environment here in Hawaii for, for this uh, particular algae? And, I guess maybe we, what I'm what I'm getting at is that you know there's a variety of different uh, algae here. I mean, we oftentimes call it uh, limu. Is there is there a intersection between uh, some of the limu that grows here and the algae that you're you're actually using for the cattle feed? Um, yeah, if if I understand that question right, there's there's definitely an intersection. Um, uh, and, and the limu does grow out here. We're working on a different kind of system. So we're working on um, an onshore cultivation system at the moment. Um, and, uh, yeah, using, um, working, with that, working with that limu uh, onshore in, in tanks. Um, but, we're, yeah, we're, again, like I said, we're fortunate that it, that it grows out here and, and that there's people who know a lot about it out here as well. So is it something that naturally occurs in the in the uh, uh, oceans around around the Hawaiian Islands? Yeah, absolutely. Um, all over on every island, uh, and and yeah, up 
around Hawaii and the rest of the world as well in the in the tropics in particular. So, so does this uh, here. does uh, does this limu have like a Hawaiian name? Uh, it does. Yeah, yeah. Limu kohu. Oh, limu kohu um, is the most common. Right. Uh, that's exactly right. We're working with. Um, however, a lot of people might hear that and think of the uh, fronds swaying on the reef. We're actually working with a different life cycle phase of the algae. It's not the one that's uh, commonly eaten. It's a different different part of the life cycle. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, there's probably, there's even a song about the limu kohu. So, you know, you guys already got the branding. Yeah, we sing it to our seaweed to make sure <laughs> they're very enriched. Um, but yeah, the limokohu obviously is very popular and staple here in Hawaii, and um, it has been, you know, taken care of on the reefs by many throughout the generations. And we've been really fortunate to talk to some of those kapuna who have, um, you know, intimate experience with the species, and very thankful for for that indigenous knowledge and um, yeah, generations of knowledge around the species. So Alexia, uh, and maybe maybe Jonathan was was uh, getting to this uh, question, but. In terms of growing uh, limu kohu, you can grow it in the ocean or you can grow it in in uh, more of a controlled environment. Uh, what is your experience in how you can get the best yield from the uh, the growing of uh, limu kohu? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, because the product has a specific use case, we've focused on online production so that we can control the quality of the product more readily in the early days. Uh, additionally, if you wanted to grow seaweed offshore in the U.S., the permitting process is a bit of a nightmare. So for a startup like us who wants to um, get things rolling quickly, be able to sail, sail fast as well, waiting five years for a permit is just not that feasible. So um, we're working on technologies to potentially grow out in the ocean one day or to also be able to, um, you know, provide seed stock for um, increased in the wild populations, if wanted by limu planters, et cetera. But right now, we're doing online mm-hmm. for better control and research purposes. Okay, that's no, that's great. And and Jonathan, so can you describe maybe a little bit of the uh, the cultivation of of uh, limu kohu in your facility, uh, whether it's in tanks? I mean, and what is it that you have have created uh, in the tank that perhaps uh, makes it grow? faster or have, uh, you know, the yield objectives that you set? Um, yeah, that's a that's a great question. So we're currently uh, using a, a system called tumble culture. So um, unlike the algae that grows on the reef uh, attached, um, this is a, a style where it's grown suspended in the water column um, with bubbles, and it's common in, in cultivation of of some different kinds of algae around the world, but only certain kinds of algae or certain kind of life cycle phases are um, are able to be grown this way. Um, and we're not, uh, yeah, we've we found some good results with that. We're also interested because we're in a location like Nelha, where there's um, lots of ocean uh, ocean companies um, around here. There's lots of uh, interesting partnerships and resources. And we're interested in how some of those other companies, how we might be able to work with them and uh, repurpose some waste, for example, from uh, fish or shrimp farms, um, and turn that into a resource that makes the uh, makes the limu grow uh, really quickly. So we're excited about that project as well. 
No, that that sounds great, and that you know the synergy that occurs over at Nelha. I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I I do want to ask you about the you know sort of the the mix in the feed of of let's say limu and and. Uh, whatever whatever else goes into the feed to feed the cattle and how you came up with that. But we'll hold that thought. We'll be, we'll be right back after this uh, short break to continue our conversation with Alexia Akbai and Jonathan Simons about seaweed, methane, and cattle feed. We're talking to the Sembrosia. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Anchor Systems Hawaii. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum, and if you're just joining us, we're talking to Alexia Akbai, co-founder, CEO, and Jonathan Simons, co-founder and CTO over at Symbrosia. And of course, right before the break, we we're talking about the uh, limu kohu and growing it uh, in in a controlled environment over at Nelha and finding ways to kind of scale that. And I, I wanted to ask, uh, <clears throat> uh, well, maybe Jonathan, what was the mix that uh, you folks came up with that that really was uh, showing promise in terms of reducing the the methane output of cattle? So uh, we found that the the um, mixing ratio is is something that's uh, commonly reported in the literature in terms of um, how much uh, limu mixed in with the feed um, has what impact on on methane emissions. And we found that uh, in some cases that's um, dependent on the conditions that the limu was grown in. Um, the, so we're actually working on some technologies to try to. Uh, increase the capacity of the limu to reduce methane uh, emissions so you can actually add um, a lower fraction into the typical uh, feed diet and, and see the same effects. So um, at the moment, depending on on uh, which study and which um, conditions the limu was grown under, we've seen, you know, everything from um, 1% to 2% to less than less than 1%, less than half a percent having uh, really significant impacts, uh, upwards of 90% um, reduction on, on methane emissions. So we're excited to try to continue to keep push that, pushing that uh, inclusion rate down um, with our growing conditions here. No, that's great. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask Alexia a question that I know our listeners are just dying to get answered. One is, <clears throat> how do you measure the methane coming out of a, a, a cow? Do you put a bag, a bag on them, or what? I mean, what's the? You know, I'm putting my yeah. my grade school hat on, and I'm thinking, how do you how do you actually measure that? So there are a lot of creative ways that you could measure that. Um, some have gone as far to put book bags that are bags on the back of cows, um, <laughs> but our method is a little less invasive. So we utilize a tool that was created for the oil and gas industry to mm-hmm. detect methane leaks. Um, an oil and gas infrastructure, and then created a protocol in, in alignment with other researchers in the industry that could utilize that for cows. So it's basically a, a laser um, that you point at the cow's mouth while they're doing the same activity for about a minute, and it's able to measure the methane flux, uh, the gas. Oh, you pointed at the high tech, actually. You pointed at the mouth. Yep. 
So that's where it comes out. So, yeah, everyone seems to gravitate towards the flatulence, but uh, most <laughs> okay. of the methane does come out of uh, the front end of their mouth in the form of burps while they're eating. Oh, okay. Well, no, hey, that's all. That's what we do here at the Hawaii Public Radio. We learn a lot from our guests. That's that's very interesting. Now, another question I have is, uh, you know, I, I can I can visualize the uh, the control environment for growing uh, algae, and Jonathan is is probably uh, you know. Uh, they're testing the waters. Uh, where's the, where are the cows? Are you got you got are you <laughs> are you taking care of cows at your facility, or are you working with uh, with ranchers on the Big Island? Yeah, no. Unfortunately, specifically Nelha, we're not allowed to have livestock down here. I think someone may have gotten into trouble with that in mm. the past. Mm-hmm. But um, we are working with a number of beef um, and then goat and sheep meat producers on Big Island in Hawaii, and also in the the West Coast, um, California particularly, because they have regulation upcoming in uh, 2024 that will tax methane from from livestock. So there's a lot at stake there, but um, yeah, no pun intended. But (laughs) (laughs) um, we are working with with, uh, producers on on the Big Island, and there's a lot going on there, particularly in the beef industry. So it's been a really interesting time to get to know um, their pain points and work with them to see how this product could be implemented for, uh, you know, sustainable so, Jonathan, uh, I think you were mentioning, or maybe Alexia was mentioning, that uh, there's some synergy with some of the other companies that are over there. I mean, uh, uh, how have you benefited from some of the uh, the folks over at Nelha? Yeah, that's a great question, um, really in, in a number of different ways. First of all, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people have used um, the deep sea water for a number of different uh, different purposes and have a really good understanding of what it's useful for, of the water chemistry um, that have been able to help us out understanding that. There's also other companies that um, are working on, on limu uh, cultivation projects, different kinds of limu, uh, including um, dulse and um, some other uh, some other limus uh, right next door to us. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's been really interesting to to um, yeah to hear their experiences, hear their experiences using the seawater. Uh, additionally, um, Cyanotech right here is one of the uh, you know largest uh, spirulina uh, producers out there and has a lot of experience both with um, algae cultivation and with a really high tech R and D. So it's been really exciting to be able to benefit from. Um, partnering with them um, and working with um, some of being able to, to uh, rent or utilize some of their um, cutting edge lab resources to that that they use to analyze their spirulina um, to also understand our uh, our limukohu. You know, th- you know, this is a, has been a really great conversation, and you know, I I, I did want to ask. Uh, Alexia about startup life uh, over at uh, at Symbrosia and Nelha. Of course, uh, you know it, it typically happens where we end up running out of time. So you know, uh, Alexia, I mean, are you getting uh, getting high school kids involved? We only got like thirty yeah. seconds, so it's got to be a quick answer. <laughs> yeah. So we have high school apprentices. Um, also trying to get more students from the Chilo that have to do uh, mandatory work hours and ag and aquaculture programs over to Nelha for additional opportunities um, and really trying to source uh, students here on island for any of our 
um, STEM internships, etc. No, and that is that is super great. And I'll put the uh, link up to Symposia on the uh, show notes for later on this evening. Alexia Akbai is the co-founder and CEO. Jonathan Simons is the co-founder and CTO at Symbrosia. And of course, I want to thank you both for joining us today. And of course, thank you for listening to Bite Marsh Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk about the state's public access room and how they manage through this pandemic. If you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. Our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us on HPR1 every Wednesday or anytime via the HPR app, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. You stay safe. You stay awesome. We'll see you next week on another, another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.